0: What's up, Discover Church? It's so good to see you on a Super Bowl Sunday. 38-24. 38-24 Chiefs, that's my prediction. 40, 21 to nothing, what'd you say? 42 to three. 42 to three, I mean, that's like, that's humiliation, that's embarrassment, that's go away and never return. I mean, that's, yeah. Anyway, man, what a, what a fun day. Uh, man, can I just give a shout out? We have some of the most creative, fun, awesome, committed people in our church making this party happen in the lobby, man. I love you. It's so fun to see what God's doing. Is it okay to have a little fun in church? Three of us think so. <clears throat> the rest of you, i still not sure about it. Man, I'm so glad that you're here. Welcome to all of you that are joining online. We're so glad that you guys are with us today. Uh, we're going to be wrapping up a series today. I'll talk about that in just a minute, but I want to tell you what we're starting next week. Next week, we're going to be starting a brand new series. The Comeback Series has all have been, try- all have been about trying to provide a-, a-, a biblical framework to help us understand why we should believe the best is still yet to come. Um, we've been talking about this idea of the comeback, what it means for you, what it means for, for, for us as a church, what it means, uh, why we can have a foundation of belief in this. The next series that we're going to be going into is all about what happens when we actually begin to put that faith into motion and to actually believe the things that we have been preaching on. The series is going to be called That Label Doesn't Fit Me Anymore. Because I don't know if you know this or not, but Jesus is in the business of changing lives, and changing situations and circumstances. And I love the line from the song that we sang today that grace rewrites our story. And when that happens, there are some old labels that just don't seem to fit us anymore because God has given us some new labels. And so that's where we're going. I'm about to preach myself happy and we ain't even there yet. Um, And so uh, Siri's excited. Siri's talking to me right now. Um, anyway so that's where we're going in our last week of the comeback series which is what we're in um, we are we're trying to to wrap up and culminate this idea of why we should believe that the best is yet to come and and God has put a message on my heart today and 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 I feel like as I was preparing this message God put some people on my heart and anytime I say that um, people start getting nervous like oh he's about to call me out And I would never do that. I would never call you out by name. But God just put a message on my heart today to speak to somebody who feels like they're far from God to speak to somebody who feels like there is some distance between them and God. And, and I don't know why um, that may be the case, but I believe that God is, ha, has put a message on my heart that, that maybe you're here today and, and, um, and maybe 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 you used to be close to God and, and you felt like things were close, but now not so much. Or maybe you're here today and it's the first time you've been in a church in a long time. Maybe, maybe you're one of the people that I've talked to and I have some friends of mine that will say this to me from time to time when I invite them to come to church. They say it. I think they believe that this will happen, but they say, man, you don't want me coming to your church, man. The church will catch on fire if I walk through the doors of your church. And maybe, maybe, maybe that's you. Maybe you did something in your past that you just carry this incredible shame, this guilt. Maybe, maybe you did something this last week. And right now in this moment, your heart's beating a little fast because you know that that's you that you did something this past week that you're embarrassed of, you're ashamed of. I don't know what your story is. I don't know who, I don't, I don't know where you've been. I don't know what the headline of your story is, but God has put a message on my heart today because I believe that the most profound comeback story and as exciting as it was, come on, last year it was exciting to watch the Chiefs in the playoffs. Comeback after comeback after Comeback. This year's been a little boring, if we can be honest. And as exciting as it was, we got time to run Wasp. We got time to run Wasp, you know. I can't, I can't do it in my home's voice. Right, and, 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 and then the comeback happens. But can I tell you that the most epic comeback, the, the comeback that, that, that everybody gets excited about, I mean, the reality, everybody loves a comeback story, but nobody loves a comeback story like their own comeback story. Maybe you feel like you're just in the depths of darkness or, or, or maybe you're not really sure how to come back to God. But God's put a message in my heart today. Because the reality of it is in those moments, in those, those situations when we when the story of our past and our shame and our guilt and the thing that we did or the thing that happened to us becomes so loud, what happens is, is it begins to pay, play tricks on our minds and, and the image that, becomes, that comes to the forefront of our mind when we think about God is a, a larger-than-life figure and a larger-than-life throne that looks upon you and all you can see in the face of God when you think of the face of God is the look of anger or disappointment, embarrassment, frustration, shame.
1: And what has been portrayed, the image that has been
0: created for you and the image that sits in the forefront of your mind when you think about God is that. Unfortunately, you have probably, I know that I have, maybe you've had some encounters with some church people. Maybe you've had some encounters with some angry religious people that do a really good job of painting a really bad picture of who God is. What I want to do today is I want to share with you from the word of God, from the words of Jesus, a message and a truth that I believe that what God wants to do today in your heart is to demolish and deconstruct the image of this angry, disappointed, frustrated, embarrassed, and ashamed of you, God, And to paint with much broader strokes and much brilliant color an actual portrayal and an actual depiction of who God actually is. If you fit into any of the categories that I've described today, then I believe that this message is for you. I've titled today's message, Welcome Home, Child." And that's gonna become clear why as we get into it. I've introduced this verse to our church over the last few weeks, Hebrews chapter 12, verse two, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. And what I wanna do today is I I wanna paint the picture of something new. So that you can see that God is not just sitting in heaven waiting to smite you, to strike you with a bolt of lightning, to, to cause punishment and misery and condemnation in your world and in your life. God will bring discipline to those whom he loves. Like a good parent will discipline his children. But God, but that's different and it's rooted in a different place in the condemnation that oftentimes when I talk to people that they think of. And so we're gonna be in Luke chapter 15 today. If you wanna have your Bibles, go ahead and turn and open up there. And I believe that what you're gonna to see today is you're gonna see a new image of God That God's arms are wide open and he's waiting to wrap his arms around you in love and grace and to whisper into your soul and into your spirit today, welcome home, child. At the beginning of Luke 15, we find Jesus doing something that he did often. He's sitting and he's having a meal with sinners and tax collectors. I always found it interesting that tax collectors were a, a whole different type of people. There's sinners and then there's tax collectors. My mom, about 12 years ago, got a job with the IRS. I said, I'm so proud of you. I mean, my mom was a single mom for a while. Uh, She got remarried after my parents got divorced. She put herself through school. She has two degrees um, and went back to school. She got a great job now. She's doing great. So proud of her. I learned so much from her. Um, But when she got the job, I was like, mom, I'm filled with so much emotion. On one hand, I'm so proud of you. On the other hand, I'm so sorry for you. She said, Why? with a weird look. I said, because you just became one of the most hated people in the world. The Bible has a separate category for you. You are a tax collector. <laughs> tax collectors were an interesting group of people because they were Jewish people. And in the, in the context of this part of scripture, um, we're talking about Jewish people and, and uh, tax collectors were Jewish people who were good with numbers and good with money and that kind of thing. And the Romans had identified them and given them a position uh, of of honor in the Roman world. Um, But it was very despised by Jewish people. The reason why is because it was a Jewish person that was enforcing the rules of the collection of the taxes on a poor and impoverished community of people while the tax collector was in a position of authority. And because he was in a position of such authority, he was compensated appropriately. So literally tax collectors were getting rich on the backs of their own people in somebody else's name. People didn't like them very much. And then there were sinners. These are people, also Jewish people, who knew of the religious system and knew of the law and what was going on in the temple and all the worship and the sacrifices and all of these things. Yet for one reason or another, they had decided it wasn't for them. They said, well, I don't, you know, I don't know about this whole God thing. I don't know about this whole what's going on in the temple thing. I don't know about all these worship and sacrifice things. And, and in reality, they had kind of good reason because they had lots of exposure and experience with this group of people that Jesus is talking to in this passage in Luke 15 called Pharisees um, and scribes. And these Pharisees and scribes were the religious leaders. They were like the pastors of the church in that day. And the Jewish people who were in the sinners category were people who had had uh, encounters with these religious religious leaders, and at one point or another, they were like, listen, bro, you... You got it all kinds of messed up and twisted because, see, here's who the Pharisees were. The Pharisees were a group of people who, again, the Romans would appoint and allow when they would come in and take over, they would allow the religious system oftentimes to remain in place so long as the leaders of the religious system would kind of work uh, with, the, with, with Caesar in their back pocket of, of making sure that what they were doing to control the people from a religious orientation um, was, was not in opposition to the crown, was not opposition to Caesar. And so the Pharisees whose job was supposed to love and to care about their people and point them to their God were, were instead buddy, buddy with the Romans and in a position of power and kind of a, a right hand to Caesar as they, they issued these rules and these laws and these things from a religious spectrum about what God expects of them. And a whole lot of people just said, listen, man, you got it all kinds of things. That is corruption, that is hypocrisy. Uh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. And so for one reason or another, they, they decided to turn their back on God, turn their back on the, the, the religious system. And for the Pharisees and the scribes, they can't understand why Jesus is spending time with these people. For the Pharisees, they're like, listen, tax collectors, like don't nobody like tax collectors. So I don't even have to explain why that doesn't work for us. But the, but the sinners... Man, these are, these are like, these are people who are so bad, they're so outcast, there's no hope. We would never spend time with those people. Yet Jesus is sitting down and having a meal, and in their culture, to sit down and have a meal, to share a meal with somebody was highly significant, highly symbolic, saying that I know who these people are, I know what they do, I know what they're about, and I accept them. And the Pharisees are like, why would a rabbi demean and demote and devalue his influence in the respectable places by going and having a meal with those people? And Jesus sees this as an opportunity to deconstruct the image that the Pharisees and the sinners and the tax collectors had of who God is and what he does in Luke 15 is he tells three parables. A parable is a story that is that, that connects known things to an unknown spiritual truth. And so Jesus tells stories all the time and he tells three stories. The first story is the story of a lost sheep. And it goes like this, Luke 15, verse four, it says, what man of you having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. Now, listen, to his audience, everybody would know this. Everybody knows that any shepherd worth their, worth their salt is gonna go to try to find the lost sheep. It's a big deal for a sheep to be lost. So he's he's speaking kind of in a in a in an obvious known thing. And so he says this, And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me for I have found my sheep, which was lost. Everybody in the audience is like, well, yeah, obviously (laughs) that's what everybody does. Sheep wander off. They go find them. It's a big deal. Obviously we know this Jesus. Jesus doesn't skip a beat. He goes right in and tells the second story, the parable of the lost coin. He says this in verse eight, or what woman having 10 coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Here's what you need to know about this coin. We're not talking about pennies and quarters here. This coin is representative of an entire day's wage. And so when you're talking about an impoverished community in an agrarian society that is male dominated and women have very little opportunity, for a woman a single woman to have worked and scraped and saved and gathered together 10 days worth of wages it is a big big deal it is her security it is her mobility it is it is what she relies on to be able to go and live and be and do as a as a woman a single woman in this society. But notice what he says he says and when she's found it, she calls her friends and neighbors again and saying, "Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace what I have lost." She's not going to go, "Well, I still have nine of them, so we're still good." No big deal. We're not talking about quarters lost in the couch cushions. This is a significant sum of money. And what Jesus is doing, he see, he speaks this and again, everyone in the audience, the Pharisees on one side and the sinners and the tax collectors on the other are like, "Yeah, I mean, obviously, obviously that's what happens in these situations. And then what Jesus does is he, he flips the script on them. And now he begins to take what they know, something to be known and true and obvious, and he begins to help portray a spiritual truth that is a radical departure of what they had known. And it is a reimagining of something that doesn't make sense to them. And here's how he wraps up each of these two stories. Luke 15, in the, uh, verse seven, in the parable of the lost sheep, he says this, I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Wow, really? Heaven gets more excited over one sinner Who repents. By the way, that's anybody because we're all sinners and we all have sin in our life. So anytime somebody turns from what they've been doing and repents, that's what the word repent means, to turn away and to go the opposite direction, there's more joy in heaven when one person does that than when the 99 people who are living just holy and righteous lives, they don't need that? Well, that's the departure of what I knew. Here's how he wraps up the parable of the lost coin, verse 10. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, what is Jesus doing? He's trying to help present a different truth. And here's that truth, that God loves everyone. But those far from him get extra attention. Not extra attention in the sense of condemnation or shame or punishment or guilt. Extra attention in the, in, the, in the lane of love and pursuit and chasing after us. The same way that the shepherd would chase after the one sheep or the woman would, would, would move heaven and earth to find the one coin. And what Jesus is doing here, this is a setup. They don't know it yet, um, but this is a setup. Jesus is taking these, these familiar truths and he is setting it up to, to present and to bring and to portray a, a different kind of way of viewing things. By the way, this is why we as a church do what we do. That as a church, we will, the, 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 everybody is loved, everybody is accepted, everybody is welcome, but people who are far from God will always be given extra special treatment. Because Jesus says this is, what, this is what heaven prioritizes. And the last story is the most famous of the three. You don't have to go to church very long to be familiar with this story, but I wanna walk us through this story today and present it hopefully in a way that is compelling for you. And it starts in chapter 25, verse 11, and it says this. Then he said, a certain man had two sons and the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided them his livelihood. The younger son looks around and he goes, you know what? I'm ready to blow this popsicle stand. I got to get up out of this small town. I grew up in a small town in Arkansas. I can't tell you how many people I went to high school with. They're like, I can't wait to get out of this small town. Most of them still live there. (laughs) Which is fine. Nothing wrong with it. I only bring that up to say a lot of people can relate to the younger son. I got to get up out of this place. I got to go somewhere else. I got to do something different. It's likely that if you grew up in a church home, um, then you probably experienced this. I was a youth pastor for 11 years and saw literally hundreds of kids uh, graduate high school and go to whatever they were doing after high school, work, military, uh, school. And, uh, and this happens a lot, right? Like you, you can probably think back to your own experience. Maybe this is true for you. Um, if you grew up in a church home, you, you get out of high school and you get out of college, it's like, freedom! Freedom! I can do what I want. Uh. Mom and dad, I can't get grounded. I can eat what I want. I can spend my money how I want. I can stay up as late as I want. I can go where I want, with who I want, however I want, whenever I want. Freedom. Or perhaps you grew up in a home um, that was just filled with, with like remarkable hypocrisy. Like You saw the way that your family acted and behaved when, when outsiders were with you but then you, you knew how they behaved when they were gone and the doors were closed. And you thought, huh, as soon as I get a chance to bust up out of here,
1: I'm gone. Peace out.
0: If you've ever been there, then you understand what the youngest son is going through, what he's processing. So he comes to the dad and he says, dad, here's the deal. I want my inheritance now. I don't want to wait till you die. I'm done with this. I'm done with you. I'm done with the family. I'm done with this small town. I want up out of here. Give me my money, pops. Here's what's interesting the father does it. Says the father divided to them his livelihood. This is very telling for us because this is exactly what God does with us. You see, God is not, God's not a dictator. God is not overly aggressive. He's not going to force himself or push himself onto us. And there are times in our lives where we want to just go away from God. We want to do our own thing. Sometimes those are big life moments where like, man, I'm abandoning the faith. I'm done with this. It doesn't work. Sometimes it's in small things. Those little moments of sin, those little moments of things that we do that we know aren't right, but we find a way to justify. In those moments, what we're doing is saying, God, I don't want it your way. I want it my way. And so what happens is God allows us to do that. And God is so loving and he's so gracious that he will permit us to make the free will choice to do what we feel is right. Oftentimes he will chase us, he will pursue us, he will bring some discipline on us. He doesn't cause misery to happen to us, but sometimes he will allow misery to happen to us when we are running hard and fast and loose, living life like we want to. And God's rules... The word of God is not, is not to suck the fun out of everything. That, that God provides his rules and, and his, his way of living, the way of living that is right and holy and just, and he wants us to live that way because they serve as guardrails, like on guardrails on a on a on a on a road along a steep mountain. They're there to help protect us and keep us safe. If we want to push hard enough, we can plow through it and we can see how how fun is it to freefall. It's fun.
1: Sin is fun. If it wasn't fun,
0: we wouldn't want to do it. I'm just, I'm a simple man. Things go in food terms. We have donuts in the lobby today. Praise the Lord. We went out to eat yesterday with some friends of ours for, uh, for his birthday. And uh, yesterday was cheat day in the Schwent house. And my wife got Brussels sprouts at the restaurant. Let me put this on record. I have never been more embarrassed than Brussels sprouts on cheat day. Y'all pray for her. There was bacon in it, so there was some salvation. But Here's the deal. Brussels sprouts were delicious, and some of y'all think it is delicious, and y'all just sick. Something's wrong with you. I wish I liked Brussels sprouts the way I like donuts. And if I did, I wouldn't look the way that I do. I feel so loved. I love it when y'all talk back to me. I need to teach y'all about timing. God loves us enough, just like the father grants the wish of the son, God loves us enough to let us do what we want. He's going to tell you what the byproduct of living in sin is and what the byproduct of living the way that you want to. matter of fact, he tells in his word that wide is the road and wide is the gate that leads to to destruction, and there are many who find it but narrow is the way and narrow is the gate of the path that leads to life and only few find it.
1: God's not gonna shut the gate of the path of destruction for you. He'll let you choose it.
0: But what happens? It says this, verse 13, and not many days after the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. He took all of it up, he loaded it all up, and he said, to somewhere, anywhere else, or bust. And he loaded up his chariot and was out of there. And it says that he wasted it on prodigal living. This word prodigal means uh, excessive and wild. Now, some of y'all, when y'all think about that, you're going, oh, I remember those days. It was college frat parties sorority parties some of y'all thinking it was my it was my mid 20s I had money and no responsibility Woo. some of y'all thinking wait what day is it
2: oh that was yesterday man he, he he's spending it he's spending it all and
1: man
0: he, he he's he's out he's out doing his thing YOLO, that's a throwback from like 07. Somebody doesn't know what that means. Once you notice what it says, it says, but it was wasted. You know, the truth is, is that if you're here today and you can think back to some of those days where you lived free and loose and wild and you did your thing, If that's part of your story there, I mean, there's some things that are about it that are fun. I mean, there's a lot of nights you're like, man, what a night. But I'm willing to bet that at some point after one of those nights was a morning. You begin to realize like, man, I mean, that was, that was fun and all, but is this really all that there is to life? Is this all that there is? There's nothing more than this. Once not you notice what happens next. He says, but when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in the land and he began to be in want. And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country and he sent him to the fields to feed the swine. He, basically, he woke up and was like, y'all, that, I mean, that was fun and all, but I mean, there's gotta be more to life than this and the money's starting to run low. I gotta get a JLB. And so he goes and he gets a job. Just find somebody, anybody that'll give him a job. Apparently, all the friends he made while he was partying and drinking, like none of that network helped him out. That network just dried up. Because the job he gets is for some random dude who is a pig farmer, which, by the way, if you are a Jew, pig are considered unclean. That's a, that you don't even go around pigs. And his job is to go and feed the pigs. Notice what it says. It says... Um, uh, and sent him into his field to feed the swine. So here he is, he's out here, he's feeding the pigs. I mean, this, this job sucks. Well, nobody wants this job. Nobody puts this, when, they're, when you're 15 years old and you're in the guidance council, you're a sophomore, you're in high school, and they're starting saying, what do you want to do when you grow up? I want to be a pig slopper. No, you didn't hear me wrong, not a pig farmer. I want to be a pig slopper. I want to take the slop and slop it. Look, I've been practicing. I <laughs> want you notice where it leads. Verse 16, he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate and no one gave him anything. My man is so desperate now that he's, I mean, the money's gone. And it was fun when the money was there. When he was buying drinks for everybody and, 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 and passing out the blow for everybody and when he could sleep with everybody and, and do all the things, man, I, I mean, he was the life of the party. He had people there. There were people all around him. Oh, he's gonna be there, man. That dude, he, woo, he's awesome. I'm gonna spend some time with him. But now it's all dried up. Now the money's gone. And when the money went away, when the the fun went away and, and the people went away, and now here he is, he's so desperate, he's so lonely, he's in such isolation. He's out here doing a job that he would have never, Never, at a young Jewish man would have never, ever, ever been caught dead doing, he is now out here feeding the pigs the slop. And he's so emaciated. He's so hungry. He's physically craving anything. And he's so hungry, he bellies up to the pig trough with the pigs to eat what they're eating. And no one gave him anything.
1: Nobody cared. Let me ask you, have you been there? The place where you woke up and you
0: realize like all my friends are bought. Because when the money dries up and the fun dries up, you begin to learn who your friends really are. And you begin to look around really, realize ain't nobody here. Don't nobody care about me and what I'm going through.
2: In our terms, we call this the bottom of the barrel. It's a
0: life-changing moment when you get here. I pray that you never have to. If you have been there, you know how miserable it is. Maybe you've been alone and frustrated. Maybe things didn't work out like you planned. Or Maybe it's a place where you did something that at some point in your past and you're just totally ashamed of it. Maybe you're in that place now. Maybe it's something that you did a long time ago. Maybe it was something that happened this past week. But whatever it is, there's there's this overwhelming sense of loneliness and fear and desperation and guilt and shame. So when someone says, hey, man, why why don't you look to Jesus and all you can see is that angry, disappointed, embarrassed face. Can I just speak into your situation for a moment that those feelings aren't inevitable? It's not inevitable that you're going to be lonely. It's not inevitable that you will feel afraid. It's not inevitable that you will feel embarrassed, ashamed, ashamed. What I'm trying to help you see today is that if you will look to Jesus, the author and the finisher of your faith, and if you will allow him through his word, what I'm trying to help you see today, that that the image that you have of who he is has been false. It's a wrong depiction. It's a wrong characterization. It is not who he is. And if you will allow the word of God to minister to you today, if you are in that place today, then I believe that you will see something that is altogether different, that you will begin to realize that God is not, he's not just waiting to, bring condemnation and rain holy hellfire all over you because of what you did or, or what happened or, or what went down in your life at some point in your past. But that you will see something different. But what happens is, is you have to get to the point where you stop and you turn and you go a different direction. And that's what happens to our boy here. Notice what, what it says. It says, Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he finally comes to his senses, and he has this epiphany, this revelation. He says, but when he came to himself, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, and I perished with hunger? He's saying, man, my father's servants, man, they got it made, man, and here I am. I'm fitting to die. I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to arise. I'm going to go to my father and I'm going to say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Would you make me one of your servants? Would you give me a job? Would you hire me? I don't care what it is. Anything's got to be better than this. And so he gets up and he brushes himself off and off he goes. And as he goes, he is imagining all the different scenarios and he's rehearsing the speech. you've ever wrecked a car, gotten to some serious problem, maybe you got arrested, maybe you or the person you were dating got pregnant,
2: hello, mom, dad,
1: that's what he's doing right now. He's rehearsing the speech. And he's prepared himself for all kinds of possible scenarios,
0: except this one. Don't you notice what happens? And he arose and he came to his father. But when he was a, still a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion, compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. You see, this is strange. I didn't prepare for this. I expected to, to see the face of anger and disappointment and, and, and to, be, to be yelled at, to be cussed at, to be given the silent treatment. Um, no, you can't have a job. Go out of here. Okay, you can have a job. But he had prepared for all kinds of scenarios, but he wasn't prepared for this. Because what was it? It wasn't condemnation. It wasn't anger. It wasn't fear. It wasn't embarrassment. It wasn't shame. It was love.
1: that the father saw
0: him. You know what that means? It means he was looking, he was waiting, he was hoping that his son would come back.
2: Let's tell you today that if
1: you're far from God, God's not angry, he's not embarrassed, he's not ashamed, he's waiting
0: for you to come back. What does the father do? The father goes and he wraps his arms around him, and this this man, this, this this dude that we've been following his story, he feels something that he has not felt forever. It is the tight, suffocating embrace of love, not the hey, what's up, bro? How you doing? Chest bump, high five, bro, hug, was knuckles pounded? Woo hoo! Right? It's none of that. It's it's the it's the embrace. It's the bear hug that says, "I know who you." are. And what you did and where you've been and what you've been doing is not who you are. You are my child. He's confused. I wasn't prepared for this. Once you notice what happens next, he, uh, what happens next, verse 21, right? So, and then the son said to him, like at some point, the son disengages from what's happening and he goes, but I got a speech. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I've been, I've been walking, I've been preparing, I've been processing, and I got a speech. I got a thing that I need to do. I, I got I to gotta find a way to make it right. I got I to gotta say the right words in the right way so that it can be the right thing so that maybe, just maybe, you might give me a chance once again. I'm not worthy to be your son, but maybe I can just have a job. I'm just hoping for just just a little bit, just a, a minutia, a skosh, a, a small bit of grace. I got a speech. I got a speech I got to tell. So stop hugging me for a second. I don't know what to do with this right now. I just need, I, I got to give the speech. And so he starts the speech. He says, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then the father says, but the father said, verse 22 to the servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill that dude and let us eat and be married for this my son is dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found you know what the father says he says shut up I don't care about your speech it doesn't matter about the words you being here is all that matters and you came back it's time to party
1: now we're Kansas City people I don't know what kind of barbecue Jesus is talking about here Some of y'all get fitting to get up and walk
0: out of this church right now for what I'm about to say. Because it wasn't Gates. It was some glorious combination of Jack Stack and Q39. I don't know. (laughs) Y'all can be mad at me if you want to. When we get to heaven, I'm going to tell you I was right. You know what the father does? He says, hey, y'all, hold up just a second, son. Hold on just a second. I got something important to say. Hey, strike up the band, y'all. Y'all go get that cow and get it ready. It's party time.
1: The son doesn't know what to do with it. (laughs)
0: Okay. I mean, what do you say at that point? I mean, I was literally just rolling in pig poop just a couple days ago. My father
1: probably knew I was coming because he could smell me. The father is not embarrassed by the stuff
0: that you're carrying. The father is not ashamed to embrace you, to kiss you, to love you. He's not ashamed to say, This right here is my son. I know that you're covered in the stuff right now, but you are my child. I can take care of all of this stuff. You took care of the hard part in coming home. Won't you notice what happens next? It says they begin to be married. They begin to have a party, a celebration. Let's go. Let's do this thing.
1: If I can just speak into your
0: situation for a second. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what you've done. I don't know what that thing is. I don't know how close you feel to God at this
1: moment. But what Jesus
0: is doing is he is breaking down the image that the Pharisees and the sinners and the tax collectors and you
2: have of who he is. Because you've been lied to.
0: Angry religious people and some church people have lied to you from their, their, their um, uh, hypocritical glances and their, their gossiping words and their holier-than-thou lifestyle. And they have painted a picture for you that is incorrect of who God is. And they, the image and the message that you hear is that God doesn't love you. How could he? God doesn't care about you who could care about you doing that if that's in your story? That God is mad at you. And I'm just here to bust through the lies that come from the pit of hell today on the authority of God's word and say, that's not true. God is not mad at you. He's mad about you. He's desperate longing for you to come back from wherever it is that you are, wherever it is that you've been, whatever it is that you've been doing, that you would stop, that you would turn, that you would look to Jesus and give him a chance so that you can experience the embrace of the father who knows who you are and whispers into your soul, welcome home, child. Now there's another person in the story. Once you notice what happens with the other person, this is the older brother. And the older brother in the story are angry church people.
1: Some people are y'all talking about. You talking about angry church people so much
0: today? Someone's going to be offended. I hope they are. Don't you notice what Jesus what Jesus says? Verse twenty five. Now his older son was in the field. He as he he came in, he drew near to the house. He heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants. He said, "Man, what's up with this? What's going on here?" And he said to him, "Well, your brother uh, has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. The skinny calf, not the skinny calf, the fatted calf. Ooh, that's a good calf. Everybody knows the fatted calf tastes better than the skinny calf." And you knows what happens. This happens to so many people. Listen, can I just speak to some church people today? Jesus is speaking to you right here in this verse. Because this is what the older brother does. He says, and he was angry and he would not go in. And therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. Can I just take a minute and just talk to the people that spent some time in some church like I have? Can I just tell you, we've done a really, really great job of painting a really bad picture of who God
1: is. I've heard
0: people... um, Uh, When when we tell stories of of, of life change that has happened in churches that I've been a part of before, where we tell stories of life change. And I've talked to church people like, well, you don't know what you don't know what's really going on in their life. We'll see. They'll probably go back to it. I'm not going to get excited about it, though. Well, if they really wanted to put somebody up there, what God can do, why don't they put me up there? I mean, I've been walking with Jesus and doing all these things. I've been serving, I've been giving, I've been showing up. I hadn't missed a Sunday since 19 and 45. I serve on a setup and tear down team, come on. I know there's a special place for me in heaven. Church wants to celebrate somebody. Why don't they tell my story?
2: Can I just tell you what that is, that's Pride. It's gross. Because what
0: Jesus is doing, he's trying to paint a picture for us that God loves everybody. But those that are far from him will always get special treatment. The son's mad. Notice what happens in the dialogue. He says, So he answered his father, verse 29, Lo! I don't know what that means. I don't say that word often. I just like to think he said, Yo! Yo, these many years I've been serving you, I've never transgressed your commandment at any time, and you never gave me a young goat. I can't even get a goat. I mean, come on, you
1: want, you want pulled goat? You want goat brisket? I didn't think so. I just take that. Can I just get some of that? You mean give me a goat that
0: I might even be able to have some fun with my friends? But as soon as this son of yours, here's how upset and offended he is. He will not even associate himself with his brother. He says, but as soon as this son of yours, if you're married, you've done that. You said, that child of yours. And y'all laughing because you know it's true. And if you're a teenager in the room or watching online, at some point, your mama, your daddy told the other one, that child of yours church, and we're going to be honest. He said, and that son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood. He's now appealing to his father's sense of worth, respect. Devoured your livelihood with harlots, loose women. You don't even know what he did. I can't even say it because I'm, I'm in church.
1: Yet that, that male Bigelow comes up in here, and you done killed the fatted calf for him? I'm not happy about it. I ain't going to party.
0: I ain't going to celebrate. I'm drawing a line in the sand. I done been here. I done all the things and and you don't even do nothing for me. But he comes up in here. I can
2: smell him still. And you throwing a party for him? When can I get my little party? Just want to Go. Nobody even likes goats. In our day, church people would say it like this.
1: I've served, I've given, I've gone to places, done the things, I've been a part
2: of it. Why can't I get the spotlight? Where's the feature story on me?
0: The father answers and he said to him, son, you're always with me. And all that I have is yours. Son, you don't have to understand. I don't, I don't have to divide a portion of the inheritance to you because you have all of it. It's mine, it's yours. We're here and we're, you've lived in the joy of everything that I have
1: and I've given it to you. But son, you got to
0: understand something. It was right that we should make merry and be glad. You know why? Because your brother was dead, son. I thought he was gone. And by omission, he's saying, I don't care where he went. I don't care what he did. I don't care who he did it with. I don't care how it makes me feel. I don't care what he looks like, smells like, sounds like, talks like. I don't care about about how high or low or, or I don't care what happened to my money. I don't care what happened to any of it. You got to understand, son, the only thing I care about is I thought my son was dead.
1: Just a couple hours ago, I found out that he was alive. And not only alive, but he was with
2: me.
0: And son, I can't begin to tell you and help you understand the burden and the pain and the hurt with the feeling like you lost a child.
2: Your brother was dead. He's alive again, he was lost and is found.
0: You see, here's the deal, your comeback story begins. When you finally get to the place
1: where you stop running from God.
0: And you turn, that's what repentance is, you turn maybe it's turning away from something that happened a long time ago and saying i'm not going to i'm not going to live in this bitterness and anger and resentment for what happened to me anymore i'm going to turn away from that and i'm going to look at jesus it's saying i'm not going to live in the embarrassment and the shame of a divorce or a second divorce or or, or 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 a sexual addiction or a porn problem or an alcohol problem or a drug problem i'm going to turn and i'm going to look to jesus i'm not going to live any longer in the embarrassment of going bankrupt i'm not going to live in the, the frustration the hurt heard of the brokenness. I'm not going to, I'm not going to live any longer in this place. I'm going to turn and I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm not going to live anymore. I I, 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 there's nowhere else I can go here. And it doesn't matter if the things that describe your story happened yesterday, last week, last year, or back in the nineties or before, it doesn't matter. What matters is, is at some point saying, I'm going to stop and I'm going to turn I'm gonna face my fear.
1: That if there really is a God in heaven,
2: that he's not going to be angry or condemn me or shame me or be embarrassed of me. I'm gonna take a step of faith and just hoping that he
0: will love me like he says he will. See, listen to me, I don't know what your story is. But the story of the Bible says that you're never too far gone. The story from the Word of God says that you can't outrun His love. The story of the Word of God says you can't sin so great that His grace can't accept you and love you and embrace you with a kind of suffocating hug that says, I know who you are. You are my child. And if you're here today and you've never placed your faith in God, can I just tell you that God created you, he wired you, he knit you together, and long before you ever took a breath, he knew who you were. And your step to beginning to experience what life is really all about is when you begin to turn away from whatever has defined your life and coming to him, and when he embraces you, he says, welcome home,
2: child. Your comeback story begins the moment
1: that you stop letting your past
2: have power over your life. And you turn and you look to Jesus.
0: And what you will experience will forever alter and shape and change the way that you see God. That's why
1: Jesus gives us this story.
0: What I want you to see today is that there's healing and there's freedom and there's hope for anyone who decides to turn and
2: look to Jesus.
0: I believe that Jesus is the most irresistible force on the planet. And if we will ever allow all of the preconceived notions that have been created by people with good intentions or bad intentions that have painted a terrible picture of who he is, if we can get past that, we would be able to see him clearly. And he's so irresistible that we will not be able to help ourselves, but to follow him closely.
2: My hope and my prayer today is that through the the power of God's
1: word, you can see him clearly today. And I want to give you a chance right now in this moment to turn, to look to him and to experience what the king of kings can do when he begins to write your comeback story. And if you'll do it, what you will see
2: is that your best is yet to come.